0: or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996.
1: Okay, it's a custom to go around and introduce ourselves. Um, is anybody here for the first time? Well, I don't think so. Looks like a familiar bunch of faces. A lot of other people are off. Making undignified displays of pride. <laughs> <laughs> um, Darn. <Why> am I? <laughs> so I'm Joe. Peter. I'm David. I'm David. I'm David. My name's Cass. I'm Tom. Yeah. I'm David too. I'm mm-hmm. Jerry. I'm Jim. Jeff. Roy. Mm-hmm.
2: Peter.
3: My name is Hal, Grisha, yes,
1: I'm Mark. My name is Michael, Harry, I'm Clint. And our speaker today is Clint Sider, (coughs) who we all know, uh, who's been in this sangha practically since it began, who also is the muffin maker (laughs) at Grey Gulch. has guided and really done a fantastic job with the Homeless Youth Dinner Project at Larkin Street and before that at Hamilton House, but belonged to a lot of longstanding Buddhist communities. So I think I'm to talk about that. Yeah. Welcome.
4: Thank you. Hi, everybody. It's nice to see you all on Gay Freedom Day. It's a special day for us all. Back in the '90s, I'm not not very good at time, but back in the '90s, uh, there were two anthologies that came out: Queer Dharma and Queer Dharma One. I think the publisher was Winston Leyland. and he approached me to to write an article for each one of them. Uh, So, the second one, Queer Dharma Two, I, I wrote an article about sangha, you know, slash spiritual community, and that's what I want to talk about today. So. I remember uh, way back when Mother Teresa was still alive that there was an interview with her uh, where the interviewer asked her what her her plans were and she said she wanted to start opening centers or missions in in the United States uh, because of the poverty there and the interviewer was um, kind of taken aback by this, he said well, the United States is a very wealthy country Uh, how do you mean that? she said, well I'm not talking about Material poverty. I'm talking about the poverty of loneliness. Mm-hmm. And she, per her, she said uh, that she thought that the United States probably suffered more from that than any other country on the planet.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, and um, every culture has their own mythology. And uh, the United States, I think the predominant mythology is the rugged individualist. And, and you see this permeate throughout, you know. Uh, books, movies, the other media, uh, where you always have um, the independent hero who is struggling through all sorts of, of uh, difficulties and barriers and finally prevails at the end and gets the fame and the fortune, and, uh, possibly the romantic interest, but usually through his own efforts. Um, and. Uh, you know, you can see this through you know, books, like, like the whole Horatio Alger uh, from Rags to Riches back in the 19th century. Um, you know, you, Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind, Howard Rourke in The Fountainhead, and all the, the craziness of Atlas Shrugged, and um, Gary Cooper in High Noon, where he's the only one that face the bad guys, and just about any Clint Eastwood or John Wayne movie. Uh, they, they all were just how the individual was able to, uh, like I said, prevail over impossible odds and, and win at the end, or just, and usually just run off right up into the sunset. Uh, in a much lesser degree, you would see how communities ha- you know, were faced with, with difficult problems and how communities worked together to solve those problems to a happy resolution. They're there, but they're, uh, at least my experience is they're a lot less common than, than uh, the the rugged individualist stories. And uh, you can see this play out just in the actual uh, dynamics of politics. Uh, back, again, back in the 19th century, you had the whole social Darwinism theory, you know, taking Darwinism's survival of the fittest into like, uh, society, where um, the rich were rich because of, of their efforts and their skills and their talents and their intelligence, and the poor were poor because they were deficient in some way usually lack of intelligence or because they were lazy, or, or whatever. And uh, that's carried through to uh, nowadays. Um, unfortunately, Social Darwinism, I think, is now called enlightened self-interest, or uh, enlightened selfishness. And Ayn Rand is a perfect exemplar of kindly, the promoter of that idea that's been seized upon by so many people on the, on the conservative uh, fringe of politics as the idea. And you, you see this even today. You see that uh, you're poor because you're unworthy. You're poor because you're lazy. Uh, you're poor because you, uh, you, you lack intelligence or, or skill, and that the rich deserve the breaks they get because of their own efforts and because of what they contribute to society as opposed to the poor. Um, so you, you start standing, studying. Our society has set up all these standards about how, you know, what, what is successful and what is not successful as far as the individual. And this is, even goes beyond just poor versus rich and so on. Uh, you, like I want to uh, read this quote I, I got from this um, so, so sociologist Irving Goffman about the standards that we are setting for ourselves in this culture. In an important sense, there is only one completely unblushing male in America. Young, married, white, Urban, northern, heterosexual, Protestant, father, uh, college education, fully employed, with good complexion, weight, and height, and with a recent record of sports. Now, now I want a show of hands for who qualifies, you know, meets all that criteria. Oh, well, Joe. Joe's exceptional. <laughs> My um,
5: father.
4: You must have had a rough child there, Jared. <laughs> Um, I think we got the male part but as far as the other I don't know so so when you take the general base um, ground base about uh, the individualist and the importance of being that then you go into the minorities and you go into the disenfranchised marginalized minorities where you have these additional you know uh, I guess uh, standards put upon us additional challenges um, where uh, you know um, obviously as gay men we have to deal with all the prejudice that, that, that we have to confront and where we're even more marginalized and put on the, on the fringes. And of course we're not the only disenfranchised minority in this country um, but I think every minority has its own type of, of prejudice that they have to experience. Um, and I think for, for the LGBT community uh, the defining quality of discrimination we face is loneliness. I think even um, in a racist society where you are a minority ethnicity, um, in most cases uh, your family is the same race, the community around you is the same race, and you might face all sorts of terrible discrimination, but you have this sense in your early formative years of being around people of the same kind, and of course for most LGBT uh, people, that's not been their experience. Um, the people that we depend upon for our physical survival, um, not, not even mentioning for uh, love and emotional connection, in most cases uh, don't share the thing that makes us separate. Uh, you know, Families around us usually are heterosexual, the schools that we go to, the churches, um, the immediate community. In most cases, we are confronted with being uh, a member of the LGBT community in a very young age where we don't have a sense of connection with the community around us. And um, as I think we can all share, that can be very wounding. Now among other categories that that I include myself in is um, being an elder, which is a nice way for saying an old fart. And um, you know, I'm 64 years old, and uh, I you know, the discussions I've had with with um, male gay men, with gay men of my generation about you know our backgrounds and our histories, is even for the, the, the men I know who are you know, emotionally stable, self secure, have a good sense of of self esteem, or maybe are in very successful, nourishing relationships, or are single and work, and living very productive, creative lives. Regardless of that, my experience has been, we've all shared a common denominator of, um, of feeling uh, isolated, and lonely, and uh, full of low self-esteem, a lot of shame, a lot of sense that we have to be in the closet, and those of us who are lucky enough to do the work, over the course of the years, we may climb out of that, but we all share that, that, that common background. And uh, As an aside, it is very heartening for me to see uh, a young uh, LGBT member maybe in the '20s and nowadays, where things have changed so much where you can actually meet some a, a young gay person who hasn 't gone through that that horrible initiation ritual and it 's for me it 's been a shock i mean a wonderful shock, but to see a young gay person who has totally been guilt free um, it 's very gratifying to see that 's happening but it 's still there's a lot of prejudice out there, and a lot of young young gay people are still suffering from that. Um, okay, so um, I want to talk about how uh, there's a book that, that I I read once. It's called The Healing Web, and it just describes the effect of loneliness. And they've done like a real search and research upon the effect of loneliness upon you know people who suffer from that, and. It, Uh, the results are nothing that I think any of you find surprising but uh, it cripples not only the the, the mind but also the body you have higher incidence of um, various uh, pathologies like tuberculosis heart disease depression schizophrenia you know other mental um, pathologies lonely people are more prone to suicide or or to crime to drug addiction to alcoholism uh, or any other ways of self-medicating themselves in order to deal with their pain So um, what do we do about this? Where do we go? As members of the LGBT community, but also just in general, in order to to get into a situation where you can have community, you can have the support of a community, it really is swimming upstream against a very powerful current. And um, it's been my experience, and I think I've seen of others, too, where it really requires a lot of work in order to get beyond the whole alienation, isolation, to a sense of a really powerful community that can sustain and nurture us, and uh, we're lucky in San Francisco where there are all sorts of communities around here. Uh, you know, you could say I don't know, like the gay hiking club, or the, the gay um, skiing club, or the gay chorus, or the you know the gay two-step dance club. Uh, you know, these are all types of communities. Um, and you know they, they serve a very useful purpose. You can share a common interest. You can meet people, and, and so on. But they don't really address the real heavy questions that all of us face during our during our lives. Um, how do we, you know? How can we as gay men find meaning and purpose in our lives? How can, how can we connect with love with others? How can we feel whole and integrated within ourselves? How can we move away from pettiness and from negativity and shame into a greater intimacy with the world around us? How can we turn our wounds into something positive? Um, these are not issues that I believe we can, we can determine on our own. We really do need a spiritual community. And I'm not knocking you know, the various clubs and communities out there, you know, they, they serve a useful purpose, but, but we really need a Sangha in order to, to address these questions and to um, to grow from them. And uh, I have a quote here from Jack Cornfield that I like about that. He says, The community is created not when people come together in the name of religion, but when they come together bringing honesty, respect, and kindness to, to support an awakening of the sacred. The sense of spiritual community is a wondrous part of what heals and transforms us on our path. I really like that quote. So, I What are the qualities that determine a successful spiritual community? I have my own ideas. I also want to say that I'll be talking for a while, but I want to open this up for general discussion. I don't want this just be me talking to you. Um, But um, uh, I have my own ideas of qualities I'd like to share, and a lot of them are are interrelated. There isn't like just, you know, bing, bing, bing. Um, I think first is uh, the need to be open to challenge. That you can get very uh, comfortable and complacent in a community, and to the point where I think you just go to a certain level and not beneath that. Uh, a community, a spiritual community, needs to be able to not only tolerate questioning, but welcome questioning, welcome challenges, welcome a dialogue uh, among the people that are within the community and its leaders. Um, and so you need a certain amount of equanimity on the part of the people who are, who are you know, leading the community, whether it's a single person or a group of people um, you need to have again, a, a, an atmosphere where you're not going to get upset or ruffled or defensive when you, when you meet challenges and on the other side, the challenges need to be met with a certain amount of, of respect and lack of antagonism uh, so I mean it, it, there, there, there are obligations on both sides of that Obviously, I and mean, this probably should have been the first one I mentioned, you need compassion. I mean, we are all struggling with our own wounds and our own backgrounds and our, and our own uh, need to, to to make our way through and find our path into into a, a more stable, happier state that deals with our, with our deeper inner wounds. And sometimes it's not pretty, the way it manifests itself, and we just need to really be able to support each other and to, to really have compassion for each other. Um, need to have honesty. No hidden agendas, um, no double standards. We just need to really be able to to communicate in a very honest, straightforward way with each other. Uh, I think we need to have balance, too. This is particularly, I'm I'm applying this to to, um, the Buddhist communities, but I think it can extend to others as well. Um, Buddhism has both an interior side to it, where we do the meditation, we do the contemplation, uh, we find that that still quiet part within ourselves. But we also go outside into the world at large, and, you know, engage Buddhism, where we're taking our practice and we go out there and, and we interact with people and causes in, in a way where we can go ahead and um, maybe, you know, do some good in that way as well. Um, And I I would say, oh yeah, participation is also not an important one. This is like, no matter how spiritual, quote unquote, a a group may be, there's always a nuts and bolts component to it, where you really have to have people behind the scenes doing the work to keep the community alive and thriving. And, you know, there's that old saying, uh, you get what you give. I think it's, it's very easy to go to a community to enjoy the benefits from it and then just not participate in keeping that community alive. Um, So I think it's it's important for people to realize that every community needs to have some support behind it in order to keep it going and to keep it thriving. And I think uh, the, the last, but certainly absolutely not the least, is you need humor. You need a sense of play. I don't think the spiritual community is like this deadly serious thing. Where we just need to really go in there and grapple our problems, and you know, you 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 can't be frivolous about it. Uh, there is there is obviously a need to to, to be serious, a need to to um, apply yourself in, in a determined way. But there also you gotta be light about it. You gotta have a sense of play about it. I mean, any as far as my I see any any realized spiritual person, there is a sense that. Spirit is joy. Spirit is play. Spirit is humor. You can see it, for instance, on the Dalai Lama, all the stuff he had to go through, all the tragedy and struggle. You can see this this, remarkably playful and humorous quality to him, along with the tears and compassion and the sorrow that he feels too. Um, and, And I'm very moved by that. I think it's really important for a community to have that. So, uh, I mean, that's my my list, and I'm sure it's not exhaustive. Um, I I want to open this up now to other people. Uh, Maybe you want to share your thoughts on what a spiritual community should be like, or your own history, or questions or comments. Um, But I would like to make this more of a general thing now. So does anybody want to have anything to add or say to this?
5: Would you mind reading that uh, quote again?
4: Uh, which quote?
1: It was
5: the cornfield
4: quote. Oh, the cornfield quote? Yeah. Okay. A community is created not when people come together in the name of religion, but when they come together bringing honesty, respect, and kindness to support an awakening of the sacred. This sense of the spiritual community is a wondrous part of what heals and transforms us on our path. Yes.
2: I think this is related to what you're talking about, but um, it's been going through my mind the last few days. I was standing in line at the film festival the other night, and that was a group of guys, and one of them was African American, and the rest of them were old white guys like me. And um, the subject was came out that we need to do something to change this demographic. That this community is all old white guys. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm looking around and I'm thinking what's, what's wrong with old white guys? I mean, uh, uh, is there something wrong with that? And then I, you know, I've thought about this before because a lot of the groups I'm involved in are old white guys. Uh, this group a bunch of old white guys pretty much uh, I'm in a group book club that's a bunch of old white guys and currently the film festival group is a bunch of old white guys and uh, well there are a few lesbians from that good measure what? <laughs> there are a few lesbians from that they have a lot of movies about yeah. other things but yeah. yeah. so I'm thinking you know what is that? is there anything wrong with that? or uh, you know I don't feel like there's anything wrong with that, but uh, for my, you know, I, I like hanging out with uh, other type of guys, young young black guys and young Latinos. I mean, give me more of that, you know? But um, anyway, I'm just gonna throw that out there because I know that the groups you hang out with are a bunch of younger guys, minorities, a lot of minorities, mm-hmm. poor, Guys, and, um, and it came up to me and said, well, maybe the film festival needs to have a financial break for young people. Mm-hmm. Maybe they shouldn't be having to pay 15 bucks a ticket. Mm-hmm. And then I've been thinking about this group. Maybe this group needs to have a financial incentive for young guys not expecting to pay $10 to come mm-hmm. and having that be set as a ticket to come here. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just... Uh, what, is the, what is that about... And I have no problem with being a white guy. I don't think. But anyway, I'm just throwing that out there. How do, how do we broaden our community to embrace other people to come into our, you know, have this conversation with us in this intimate place? Mm-hmm
4: that's a good question As, oh.
0: well so in response to that um, I mean I agree with what you said but so last night down in Castro was Pink Saturday and I, I live right there on that corner so uh, with a friend who's moved to the city kind of waded into it for all of about 15 minutes before we you know like ran <laughs> screaming <laughs> but it was definitely not the demographic that you described it wasn't my demographic you know. so it, it was like a group from a completely other place, you know, had just been dropped into the neighborhood. So I guess what I'm trying to say is probably the community that we experience is what we surround ourselves with, and yet there's this other community of young, vibrant, you know, gay kids, uh, not a blonde to be seen in the crowd, you know, who were just enjoying it, and Mm -hmm. that's their community. So they probably wouldn't say, oh, the, the gay, the quote, gay community is old white men. Mm-hmm. Maybe our gay community that we run, the circle that we run in, happens yeah. to be that. And, and there seems to be, like, these distinct silos of, you know, who you associate with, which, you know, has probably been in existence since society was created. But, you know, so how do we bridge that? And how do we you know, interact with each other and not just find ourselves as a group Well
4: Correct. I mean, that's a huge question, and it's it's a question that's been asked specifically in GBF over the course of many years without a happy resolution. I I don't know, I mean, every now and then we would have like an African-American person come in, and then they'd stop coming. Um, And and I can understand, I mean, I can come into a room full of old white guys, like you say, that can be off-putting. And I, I, and I don't know how you, you can reach out or or whether that would be successful if you, if you tried. I, I do know that, for me, I, I get great joy out of the Larkin Street Project because it, it, because you're right. I mean, I, I usually just... My, my circle of friends usually are just people of my generation, um, and usually white, and um, it's been great to hang out with these kids. I mean, it... Some of their their backgrounds are horrific and i don 't even know the backgrounds for a lot of them. you just see them there, but they have this this exuberance and this energy that is so great that is so not what i 'm used to and you know of course, you know you have all different races you have not only just a lot of uh, gays there but you have a lot a fair number of transsexuals there and um, it 's been I, I love that particular project. Uh, I've been doing it for years with other people. And I think about people can back me up on this. It's it's a it's a very rare and good opportunity to, to bridge that what you're talking about. But it's it's difficult. I, I don't know. It's not an easy thing to accomplish. and I don't have an easy answer personally. Mm-hmm. Jeff,
6: when two things occurred to me. Uh, one is uh, sometimes. Uh, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with old white guys or any group that uh, is naturally just drawn to like minded people. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, exclusion and, and um, you know, prejudice is another thing, but sometimes if we want to spice up <laughs> or add variety to our social world, we go out to other groups, mm-hmm. you know, just like what you're saying, you know, going to Locker Street or traveling with other cultures or doing other things, so I understand what it's like I, I like to be in places where sometimes I'm the only blind person mm-hmm. you know, not everybody likes that, but it doesn't always uh, it's not always the solution for loneliness you know, to do that mm-hmm. but, and uh, I just wanted to add on the, the <laughs> issue of loneliness the you other know, quality I find in um uh, as an older white guy that is contributing to that is that we're males, you know. Males, just our hormones <laughs> are yeah. more drawn to spread the seed, not to be in monogamy, as monogamous as uh, uh, the female is. And, uh, I think that also adds, to, I mean, how many people in here really are in a long-term relationship? What percentage maybe? One, two. How long is long? <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, anything over a weekend. <laughs>
6: yeah. well, it's sort of also built into our. It's not just discrimination or um, you know, our minority preferences. It's by the nature of the beast. David? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I was thinking about the kind of the whole topic
7: there, and I was also thinking when when we when I was younger, you know, I went out with a couple of friends, and went to the bars, and went to the club and clubs, and life was kind of a party. And then you get older, and you don't get as much attention, and your needs change, and then you start going to, yeah, I started going to groups and um, looking for community, looking for commonality, looking for support, but um, what's interesting, if you've ever done caregiving for your, your your parents, I mean, in the old days, whole families lived in the same area, and they were extended families, and people helped each other out, and then you have, you know, um, the generation where they were married, and maybe people moved, but there were still kids, and the kids were involved in kind of caregiving, and then... You get to kind of modern society. And you get to gay men and single gay men. When I think what it's taken to take care of my parents, you wonder what's going to happen. And it, I think they even say like fifty or percent of baby boomers are, are single or sixty. But then you take people that don't have children and everything. So how are we going to provo- get the support in the community? I mean, other than coming together and kind of talking about it, you yeah. know to care for each other, and right. some of it has to be intergenerational too, mm-hmm. so it's, a, it's an interesting
4: question. Jody, mm-hmm. do you want to say something?
1: Well, I was just going back to that um, kind of lack of diversity mm-hmm. issue. Uh, the East Bay Meditation Center is very different, I mean it really has placed a value on having um, diverse membership and they talk about it all the time and Larry Yang is one of the teachers there it's kind of his mission is to you know have people of color have access to meditation and Buddhist thought um, so that the whole the place the energy of the place is really kind of about that so it's possible I mean, it, 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 it's just a value. I think one of the unspoken things that we understand about each other here is is that most of us have lived through mm-hmm. that isolation and that shame and that we have that common history. We don't necessarily talk about it, but we know it and feel it in each other. And that's something It's kind of special. Um, I don't know if that necessarily goes away if you open up to a more diverse population. But. Well,
8: it's kind of interesting to sit here and listen about us calling ourselves, what my I here, gay older men. And I feel like, at least what I hear, and I, I do this myself, I feel the shame about being a gay older man. And I'm kind of like, maybe we could say we're just proud gay elders yeah. and get out of that because we've gone through so much coming. I mean, you know, I'm 62, and, you know, I've been out 40 years. <laughs> and I still carry shame and stuff, and I think I might always carry it, but to recognize instead of saying, oh, you know, I'm just a gay older man. And I have a problem with this. And I was out in a bar the other night with people from work that are all, like, in their 20s and 30s, and I looked around and go, I'm the oldest person here. <laughs> but, uh, and they don't care. The, the younger generation they don't really care about age i find so I think maybe we take the mindset where we start at least for me is like no. I'm a proud gay elder and that's who I am and that's not going to change I'm not going to be thirty again so you know we have this joke we call this group the, the grey buddhist fellowship <laughs> and, uh, and you know I think it's time for us to take our power back and just say this is who we are yeah. let's be proud of who we are whoever comes to these doors are always welcome but pretty much just gray older gay men come here, and uh, and then what's what's old? 50, yeah. 16, 16, right. 70, yeah. So I think yeah. we are going to take some pride in ourselves and uh, <coughs> and go from there. Because if like, we keep just referring, you know, and I do the same thing. I mean, at the, I was at the film festival and stuff, and and like, I'm really hard on myself. Like sixty was the most difficult age for me to go through, and. Uh, and you know, the thing you read about the white man—that you, I said, was my father—to live on that—I, what I found out was, my all my father's uncles were retired by sixty-two, mm-hmm. and I was never going to be able to do that. And there's a certain shame about that, and why I've been brought up in this way, and but uh, I have to just accept it. And uh, so I'm glad we you talk about the topic today; it really, is helpful.
4: I I, just—I think I carry my age as a badge of honor. I do not feel ashamed about it or bad about it. You you couldn't pay me enough money to relive my twenties. (laughs) I would
6: never live through it again. Yeah, really, really.
4: Once is enough, believe me. Um, And actually, this—I've never been happier in my life than I have in my sixties. This is—I, if you do the work. You 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 reap the benefits, and um, you know I was so confused and so unhappy and so lonely and so lacking in self esteem when I was a young man, and it's just so great after all the therapy and the spiritual paths and the mushrooms on Mount Tan that um, <laughs> I, that I, I was that I've gone to the point now where I, I really enjoy being myself and I enjoy my life, and so I, I believe me, I, I do not consider myself, you know in a negative way for being, like, an older person. Yeah, okay.
2: yeah, thanks, Clint. This is, this is very timely and I think, probably always appropriate. And, um, and i like to think that i you know, I've left a lot of these issues in the past. But yesterday, when I heard that they were going to finally put up the suicide prevention barriers on the Golden Gate Bridge, my reaction was, "Well, shit, that was part of my retirement plan." <laughs> 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 no, really, it just in my mind. But the idea that there would be a support community is not in my it's not in my bones. It's—it's it's the assumption that I will be old alone, and um, then it sort of took my breath away that i, I caught myself doing that. But i was not in just defense of our, of our time. You know, we, it wasn't just a case of that, but we lived through a catastrophic nightmare that went mm-hmm. on for years, I know. and that. So we are, to a certain extent, historically separated um, from not just our generation of gay men, but from the whole country. My mother says she knows of no group that has known such grief as we have. And when they went through the war, she said, you know, I lost more in a year than she lost in the whole war. um, So I I think... I don't know, I have young, these new young friends in the chorus that I sing in who think that I've had a hundred lives because there have been so many
4: Well, you probably have well, <laughs> yeah. No, but we all
2: have had many. Yeah. You know, when you don't follow the regular path yeah. you have something that's somehow originally brew and, and, yeah. and it may be not um, unpredictable that we should sort of separate out a bit To console ourselves, I think this group is a great aquifer of spiritual support that we don't necessarily call on. I think we have spoken honestly from our hearts in many different um, times, uh, but that we maybe don't rely on each other practically. I mean, I would never ask anyone here to help me move. I just, (laughs) you're too old. (laughs) (laughs) I'm teasing. We're not old. We're young. No, the old starts at
4: eighty-five. <laughs> Until you're eighty-five, then it starts at ninety. <laughs> yeah, right. But,
2: but I, I think something about spiritual. When I think about you know the, the old communities um, in San Francisco, which are largely straight, uh, but I worked with them. You know, we we were involved in endeavors together, mm-hmm. um, and where we were a support group for a dying friend. Um, and to the extent that, you know, we meditate together and we try and speak the truth together. And um, as undiverse as we are, I think it's still very genuine what happens here. And I, I don't That's think okay. um, that we have anything to uh, apologize for. Or, um, I'm not suggesting that you say Yeah, because no, I don't um, either. You know, in fact, I, I think we've all, we've all been drinking at a fountain um, very deeply for a long time here at <coughs> um, and who knows what the consequences will be as we advance in time. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but I, I just think it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, sometimes a spiritual community, it can happen on a bus, you know, someone leaves up and, and grabs someone who's following, you know, what's that? I mean, I, I think the ways that we, we connect with each other as humans is infinitely diverse
4: and magnificent and, and um, there's no one formula um for a spiritual community. Well I, I, I just want to follow on that. I, I really think um, this might be something GBF can explore in the future about, you know we are getting older. Maybe we you know maybe we'll get to the point where you know we're gonna need assistance and the family won't be around. I think we need to be able to be there for for all of us, each when we need it. and, and that's what a spiritual community is all about. Um, you know, I
1: have
4: I, I have very little contact with my biological family. I have a, a circle of friends that are very dear to me, but you know, we got to think about that. I'm, I'm I'm in good health now, not going wood, but it's not always going to be that way, um, and I think it's true for all of us. Yes,
2: right. As diverse as the
9: GBF is, I am a person of color, and I'm very happy to be here. <laughs> I just to say that.
4: Okay.
3: And there's a a few of us. Yeah,
4: (laughs) Thank you.
3: I think it's natural as to be an old white person and assume everybody you see who isn't noticeably a different color is another old white person. But what I wanted to say is, uh, since I'm a survivor of that great catastrophe and I've lived with HIV and AIDS for 23 years, as I age, I just keep being astonished that I'm still here and that I was given this great gift to keep living. Right. Um, Somehow I've avoided survivor's guilt. I have survivor's joy. And I think it's interesting that everybody seems to live their lives assuming they're gonna keep living. And it's not true for anybody in this room. (laughs) You can go out and die in the sunshine in five minutes. So um, I had a different perspective on aging. Uh, And as my great friend and teacher, James Brown said, it's an adventure, not a predicament.
4: I totally agree. Um, You know, when you had, again, the AIDS catastrophe, when you had so many young men dying in their 20s and their 30s, I mean, if, if I'll just speak personally. If that happened to me, my life, I, I, there wouldn't be anything in my life that, that I, I would be able to point to as worthwhile, frankly, because I was so unhappy back then and so unrealized. I am so grateful to be a survivor. I'm so grateful to have those years where I could do the work, where I can get to a point of a certain level of wisdom, where I can get to a point of, of self-acceptance and happiness that I did not have when I was a young man. Yes, sir. I also have
3: this perspective that as we're aging, it's a time when we're harvesting yeah. from the years that we spent struggling. And I agree. There's wisdom that has is
0: still waiting to be harvested. Yeah. So, thank you um, for bringing all this up. And I thought it was very interesting when you tied together, um, or at least you mentioned together, loneliness and honesty. Yeah. And so it reminded me, I saw uh, the films that I saw in the two fest- in the film festival, two of them were Boulevard with Robin Williams and then the documentary about the life of Barney Frank. And in Boulevard, uh, he plays a middle-aged uh, loan officer in a bank <laughs> in a loveless marriage who's extremely lonely, even in his relationship with his wife, because he's never been honest about his sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, um, never dealt with it himself. I mean, it's a, it's sort of a caricature. It's an extreme example, but he ends up in, um, befriending a male prostitute, and rather than having sex with him, just pours all this out of his affection onto this kid who's bewildered by that. Um, but it was really a, a story of someone who's just terribly, terribly lonely. And then, you know, magically as Hollywood would have it is he leaves, once he leaves his wife, he's like happy and open and free and no longer co <laughs> yeah. Um But it's about the loneliness that comes from not being able to be honest. Right. And, and then with Barney Frank, he poured himself into his career into public service because he wasn't out. He was just yeah. so terrified of being found out yeah. that he didn't cultivate a personal life at all until he finally came out, you know, now is married, um, and not surprisingly it was suddenly over the whole public service thing. <laughs> 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 and you know, and there is a life outside of, of you know, Capitol Hill. And uh, so that was, it was interesting. Those two contrasts where somebody's just lonely and someone else is lonely but motivated, and I think it shows that we come from an era where, that, that has passed. I mean, people are no longer being raised the way we were. With as much fear and as much yeah. um, hesitance, you know, at least on the coasts, maybe in Mississippi and stuff, still yeah. goes on. But there are choices; people can move, people can go someplace
4: where they can find acceptance. Yeah, I just want to add on that—some very cogent points. Um, you know, we've all dealt with shame of being gay, but there's also a lot of shame of admitting that you're lonely. Um, it's, it's like it's like a confession of inadequacy of some sort. Mm-hmm. And I, I know there there have been times in my life where I've been terribly, terribly lonely and where I felt great shame about that and where I really couldn't really tell people about that because it... it, it um, I would think it would just push them away even further than they already were. Um, so I think that's an interesting point to work with, too, to be honest. And, and you know, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be clingy and desperate, or, but just say, you know, just... You don't have to put it on this brave front all the time, or or at least a spiritual community can be a place where you you can drop that, at least for a while, and and be honest. Um, Yeah, so I just want to add it to what you say.
5: Peter? Um, Talking about honesty and, and community. One place that occurs kind of naturally is in 12-step groups. Mm -hmm. Take a group of people with a common vulnerability, Mm -hmm. and they come together and honestly admit that they have that. And there is this immediate sense, uh, for most people, uh, of finding one's own or something. Mm -hmm. In my own life, I balance this Sunday morning group with a 12-step group, two 12-step groups. I don't share a vulnerability here, maybe not now I am, but I mean, in general, even with our small group discussions, it's like, here it is in San Francisco, it's a gay group. What else is there to share? You know what I mean? what, what else is, is hidden or, or uh, uh, my vulnerability? Um, but in a 12-step group that I go to, um, there's all those characteristics you talk about, laughter. Yeah. It's a pretty poor 12 step group where at some point rather somebody doesn't, you know, the group laughs at something that is so um, absurd, but we all do it, you know. Right. <laughs> that kind of thing. Right. Um, and one of the, the, the traditions of 12 step groups is um, attraction, not promotion. There's no way of, you know, out there promoting the group it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. And and as the group evolves, you get so that there's, oh, I really like this group of people here now. And then some newcomers come in, some people leave, and you don't like it because the group has changed. But then, you know, six months later, you're kind of fine with this group again. And it's constantly changing. That's what I said.
4: Thank you. Uh, well, I
3: just wanted to ask you, you've made a couple of uh, requests for more participation in the youth uh, meal that you do, mm-hmm. and I wondered if you had gotten a satisfactory response. Uh,
4: yes. Um, people have come to me, um, even people who are already part of, of the volunteer pool who expressed more of a g- determination to, get, to participate and also new people have come to me too um, so I think it's I mean we, we just did it yesterday and um, uh, we had yeah. a, a good crew of people and it was a wonderful experience I mean you were there yeah, uh, it was great wasn't it? yeah, yeah um,
6: Get to know people other GDFers yeah. Uh, yeah you know you're doing something meaningful but
4: it's fun too yeah. and and the, and the kids yeah. are so good I just, I just love the kids there um, so, yeah, that's a question. It looks like it's a better situation now than it was, you know, a, few, a couple of months ago. Yeah,
10: sorry.
0: So that actually is a perfect segue. Um, you mentioned being lonely, and I find when I'm lonely, the, one of the ways I pull myself out of it is to feed people. Yeah. Whether it's friends coming over for just an impromptu meal or, you know... Yeah, pies. <laughs> um, nobody says no to pie. Um Or, you know, go out on the street. I mean, in my neighborhood, it's not hard to find someone who's hungry and say, hey, can I buy you a Subway, you know, needle deal or something. Oh, good. And, um, I mean, for five bucks, you can turn someone's day around, including your own.
6: Right.
4: So, so you
0: actually you actually have done that? You, you. Yeah, I mean, all the
4: time. Oh, that's you know, cool. That's know. cool. Um, good, good for you.
0: And But that's like... It also reminds me of
4: the you know the weekly,
0: the monthly dinner that we do there at um, yeah. at Park Street. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't
4: go there and be longer. No. Yeah. No. It's 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 a very tight knit community type feeling just to be there, and it's fun. I mean, you have all these problems that come up and you resolve them, and you know, um, it's 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 you know it's it's been a very worthwhile experience for me.
2: I... Can I talk? I, you know, there's there's some old Buddhist list of prescriptions, and for you know, sadness, for loneliness and depression, the prescription is service. Yeah. And I, when I think about um, during the AIDS year, that there was that party went on so long, and then people got organized into service groups, and it was a, it was a, a, uh, in the midst of all the loss, there was an increase in community. Mm-hmm. Um, people got out of being alone. And, mm-hmm.
4: Well, I also just want—I didn't make this point before—but I want the isolation we feel or, or we experience, and not only just gay men, but in general, is not always just—I don't believe it's always just accidental. That's just the way the culture is. I believe some way there's a deliberateness behind it. If you isolate people, you take away their power, and I, I think that um, you know—not you know, to get too all conspiratorial about this—but I think I think the, the, the ruling people benefit from us all being isolated, you know, and, and they do that. They, they turn the gaze against the African Americans, and you know, you say it's only like a limited resources, and, and so if you have more of this pie, then, uh, then he'll have less of it um, and, uh, you yeah, know I, I just see that this is, this is a weapon that's used against us to alienate us, and I think it's to our benefit to, to realize that, and to try to bridge those, those gaps that, that are out there Hey.
10: I I also have been reflecting, it's really a great discussion we're having. Um, yeah. reflecting on loneliness is a is a mind state. And as Tom pointed out, you can be in a long term relationship and shrouded by people and feel you know, very lonely.
3: Yeah.
10: And there's other people that, that are fairly isolated to live alone that are pretty happy and happen So it's a it's a mind state, and it's a mind state that the Buddha talked about, getting broken down And by doing practice. We lose our, for one thing, this important identification that we're older gay men. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe we're more than that. And maybe we're more connected to, to, to women and young men and you know, animals than, than we think we are. That we, you know, we kind of create these identities that, that Set us off from other people, from other beings, and that's something. That, that, that's something that the, the practice, as I see at least in my own experience, the practice really kind of help dissolve is this idea that I am separate from other
4: beings. Well, isn't it like Buddhism that's, that's the one number one great delusion we all carry around with us—that we are separate individuals, mm-hmm. uh, and that uh, Buddhism, other spiritual paths, like that. Are trying to like break through that illusion and seeing the you know like the wave is still part of the ocean. Is an analogy that's used, um, and again the heart. This is a culture that so stresses individuality. You don't get to see the, the connectedness that is that is intrinsic to us being you know living human presence of beings. Yes, I um, really maybe it was
9: helpful for me to reflect on the idea that. We have our own brand of loneliness because, uh, even though we would be around our family, our all-white family, our all-Catholic family, our all—you know—neighborhood, whatever, we were still separate because we were gay, and passed, mm-hmm. uh, at least I had you know, a secret, and I felt isolated and alone in the crowd that way. And um, and I feel like uh, I just went through it. Actually, I was in Telluride, Colorado. One of my cousins, and we were at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, and it's a beautiful mountain setting, and the music was amazing, I'm not a super bluegrass fan, but the music was so authentic, and the musicians, I had VIP pass, I was in the front row, with all white people, um, there were a few, very, very few people of color, and out of like 2,000 or 3,000 people that were there, and there were even fewer people who um, had a VIP pass, and could sit in what they call the poser pit. And, um, <laughs> and I felt so privileged to be there, but yet, I could not find gay people. You know, like I, I was longing for a connection yeah. with a gay person. You know, right. just, I was with my cousin who loves me unconditionally and you know, calls me girl.
3: And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I felt
9: perfectly accepted and loved and a part of, but I, it brought me back to that childhood longing, I just want to find somebody else gay of
6: course, to the bar of course.
9: To find a gay person out here and um, so it was helpful to reflect on that and, um, and I also the thing about diversity there was a documentary once about the Castro and, um, and there was a soundbite where this African American girl was like Castro's a bunch of old white dudes you know, and I think she actually was from Market Street in the yeah. documentary or something mm-hmm. and, um, and I teach kindergarten and the um, South Market school, um, our, our population is mostly Tenderloin and South Market kids. So I, I very rarely have a white child in my class. Mm-hmm. It's all people of color. And um, what I feel that issue is, is from the poverty cycle. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm in a social justice class in teaching school. We talked about white privilege, and it's very eye-opening for me. Mm-hmm. The, the um, the caricature that you from that quote of the the white sports dad or whatever. But yeah, you know, right. that's white privilege which we are we have
6: by right. birth as a white right. as white people like And as, as men people, too. As what? and as or, men too. As men, yeah, exactly. It's like the yeah.
9: the absolute white privilege where you're yeah. like you're male, you're if you want the job you've got it, yeah. been, you know, first and um and just really, I think about that every day in my classroom, where I experience. And now I'm also kind of isolated as a gay white kindergarten teacher in a school full of children of color and teachers of color, actually, at the Filipino mm-hmm. school. And um, just like all, yeah you know, just there's so many different ways to isolate and feel lonely, and it's such a hard task to, break, to bridge all of that. Right. And I experience it where I have. Black parents telling their children, do not associate with Mexicans, and Mexican kids yeah. saying, Don't, I'm not allowed to play with that black girl, and yeah. races against races, and, mm. um, and the whole time, you know, what's this honky doing teaching my kid? You know, yeah. like it's just this, <laughs> there's a lot of underlying discomfort. Yeah. But um, yeah. you know, as far as I can tell, the only way to bridge all of that is really intense love. But, um, Thank you. But also, Thank you. There's got to be some way to break the powers. So, yeah. You know, I mean, there's a reason the capture is all white. We have white privilege. We have money. We have but, you know it's happening right now. Everybody, people of color, people are, who are low income are being pushed, pushed, pushed away.
5: Yeah.
9: First, it's in the temple white, and it's kind over of the bridge, and then it's. it's you
4: know, we. We yeah. need to. Oh, okay, just one more comment.
2: Um, I'd like to be, just throw out there that the whole labeling of lonely is, for me, a really charged word because uh, it's sort of got a derogatory connotation. And um, I know that when I'm feeling lonely, a lot of it is in relationship to Relationships that I find to be difficult. And actually, for me, the best therapy for being lonely is meditation. Uh, and because actually, in doing that, I sort of become more centered in who I am. And actually, my loneliness is really being not connected to who I am and has really not that much to do with these so-called other things that I'm feeling isolated from. A lot of it's I'm isolated from myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I would... I'm very careful about using that word (laughs) to describe myself because I find it has, you know, it's it becomes a stigma. And there's got to be... I mean, for me, it's not
4: hopeful. Actually, there's a distinction between lonely and solitary. I, you know, I just think it's important not to, not to conflate those two.
2: I'm just telling you my experience. Sure, sure. My experience is that there's a stigma attached to that concept of lonely. Mm-hmm. Uh, people, My friends who are in relationships think of me maybe as lonely. I, you know what? I think of them as being lonely. <laughs> <laughs> so, you can have this argument who's longer you, know. But you know, basically, I think everybody in the it <laughs> <the perfect laughs> is like, is, like, is got to deal with the same problem.
4: Sure. Anyway. Okay, well, well, thank you. Thank man. you. That was a very rich discussion.
1: Good. Do we uh, have any announcements?
0: Yes. Um, so every month we get about a dozen uh, letters and uh, many letters, but about a dozen requests for pen pals. Um, so these are people who are incredibly lonely in prison. They're isolated, maybe from the other inmate population, because not just because they're gay, but then they're trying to conduct themselves on a spiritual path, or they're curious about, you know, the Buddhist path. So if you feel inclined to know, maybe reach out and help alleviate someone else's um, suffering and service, this is a great way to do it. You write to them like once a month more if you feel like it. Um, There's guidelines to protect your identity and all that stuff and it makes it a very safe and uh, fulfilling uh, form of service.
10: registration for
0: our annual retreat is now open. And there are flyers outside on the table there. Uh, thank you to Tom Hullin for designing this beautiful flyer. Um, it's happening the third weekend of September uh, the 19th through the 21st at Vajrapani Institute. Our theme this year is Karma, It's Not What You Think. <laughs> <laughs> it's worse. It's <laughs> worse. You know, it's a great opportunity to cultivate more of a sense of connection with yourself and with other people in Sangha. If you have any questions, uh, Jerry Jones is handling registration and accommodations. You definitely want to register early if you want a private space, because those go quickly and they're a limited number. So, And uh, feel free to ask me any questions you have. Thank you. Jim? Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, my name's Jim. I'm your host for the day. Um, there are some treats out there. Uh, there's a uh, sign-up sheet I think probably has signed up. If you are not and want to be, sign up on that sheet. Um, I'll be uh, going around with the Don Hole And we uh, look forward to receiving $10 um, for attending as, as you are moved. Um, and there's tea hot water, um, if you'll put your cup in the sink, I will wash them at the end. Um, and guys gather at the door around 12.30 who would like to go out to lunch together. So, um, did I skip anything? The, the dollar bowl? I said I'd be, I'd...
4: oh, okay, yeah.
2: Okay, anyway, uh, hang around and um,
1: enjoy this spiritual community. I think it's my duty as facilitator, this Sunday facilitator, to reinforce the Donna issue, that we we really depend on it, to be in this beautiful space, to pay our speakers, to do our programs like Larkin Street and the prison outreach program. So, thank you. Let's... Oh, and let's the open discussion. Okay, great. Can can we join for a... beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thanks
6: again for that. (laughs) Oh, yes,